You know, when I was uh, six years old, I played t-ball, and of all the years of playing sports, that season was the most fun I ever had. We were really good. We didn't lose a game. They kept up with score back then. They didn't just give everybody a trophy. We actually were the only ones that got a trophy. We won the league. We beat people by the 10-run rule just about every time. Our best player was Christy Smith, a girl. She was really good. We had another young man on our team that ended up playing for the Atlanta Falcons later on. We were really good. But, you know, as much as I loved t-ball that year, they kind of frown on you continuing to play t-ball when you're in your teen years. They make you move on. And so the next year, I had to go to coach pitch, then the next year, a pitching machine, then the next year, American League, then National League, then, then minor leagues, then major leagues. That's how it was. Whether you were good enough or not, you had to move up the chain. You couldn't stay in t-ball forever. It was just a natural progression. You had to make that transition. And one thing that I learned very early on is that change often comes with having to get up, give up something. You usually have to give up something to get something. And so I had to give up those teammates, the coach that I loved. And actually, the next year wasn't all that fun. We weren't very good. I didn't enjoy it as much. But you have to move on. You have to transition. And, you know, the church has to move on. We have to transition. We do. And I realize when you see, you know, the subtitle for tonight's lesson, Change is Bad, and that's I'm obviously implying that's a lie, Sometimes change can be bad. Sometimes change can be irresponsible. That's not the type of change that we're talking about tonight. The change that we're talking about tonight is change that is necessary in order for the church to adapt and adjust and evolve. One thing that I have noticed, I have the wonderful opportunity to go and preach in a lot of different places here in these United States. And one thing that I have noticed is that by and large, the church is not making an impact in its community. Why is that? Well, I started doing a little bit of research and started looking at kind of taking a survey, just, you know, my own survey. This is not, you know, scholarly type of material that I'm giving you, but I started looking around. I started noticing some things, started seeing some things. Some of it's very superficial. Some of it's just stuff like facilities and things like that. You know, I mean, there was a time when the Church of Christ was the ugliest building. You just look for the ugliest building. That's the one you, you know, that was the Church of Christ, but you know, be that as it may, some of it's superficial, but, but really the heart of it is not being able to adapt and adjust. You know, the church really grew many years ago, and you hear a lot about the heyday of the church back in the 50s and 60s. But one thing that we have to admit is back then we kind of got off track. And we, we started looking at what everyone else was doing around us. And we started having debates, and we started talking about the denominations, and, you know, here's what the Methodist church is doing wrong, here's what the Catholic church is doing wrong. And, and we grew during that time, but you know what else we did? We lost our focus. We lost our mission. And it's okay at times to approach error, doctrinal error, and those kind of things. Certainly, I'm not saying that that doesn't have its place. But over the years, we lost our focus to where we started just pointing out what everyone was doing wrong, and that's wrong. Because you know what our focus should be? You know what our mission is? You know what the number one mission of the church is? It's Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. 
The church was always intended by God to be the agency by which the story of salvation is to be told. That doesn't mean that you can't point out doctrinal error during that as you're preaching the gospel to someone, as you're talking about Jesus. You talk about the things that he stands for, the truth that he lives and that he stands for, the will of God, all those things. Certainly they have their place, don't get me wrong. But we lost sight of our mission. We lost sight of who we were supposed to be. You know, we also became holed up. We, we stopped moving. The first church started as a movement. We're not a movement anymore. You know, we talk about being the church in the book of Acts, and we talk about, you know, we are the first church. That's what we model ourselves after. Well, we're not the first church. And we need to be honest with ourselves about that. That's not who we are. We often talk about what we do within our walls, and in that case, we, we do resemble the first church, and with it, we engage in the five acts of worship, right? But that church was a movement, and we are anything but at times. We are a monument to a once great movement. The church stands as a monument. Some might even say a tombstone or a grave marker to say, here was a once great movement. We are not that church in that we do not resemble them in the way that they were moving and going and spreading the gospel message. Those are some areas that we need to change. I understand that when you read a subtitle like change is bad and that is a, that is a lie that Christians believe, I realize that in this day and age, especially in our community, that can raise some eyebrows. I am fully aware that there are some churches in our area that have made some changes that others are very uncomfortable with, that I, I don't know all the ins and outs, but there are even many uh, believe are unscriptural. We at Oldham Lane do not celebrate that. But we do want to be a soft place for people to land. We do want to be a place where people can come and feel comfortable about what is being taught, knowing that it's from the Bible. But here's the thing. The change that we're talking about is not those type of changes. The change that we're talking about tonight has nothing to do with compromising biblical truth. In fact, the change that I'm going to talk about tonight makes us more biblical. But the church so often looks at change as a dirty word. We've always done it this way. Why do we need to do it any different? Because we're dying where we sit. That's why. We got to wake up to the reality that the church in many places is dying where it sits. It is no longer relevant. It's not making an impact on its community. I've told you this story before, I think, but many years ago I was asked to go and preach at a church where it had about 40 members. All the members were at least 65 or older. They had been Christians for many years. They were dying where they sat. Nobody wanted to admit it, but they were dying where they sat. And they had me come and preach about instrumental music. Why? Not to say that there's not a place for that. Not to say that that, would be, that, that, that wouldn't be a good discussion or a good, a, a good sermon. But folks, you're dying where you sit. All these people in this room know. They know why you don't use instruments. Why is that the pivotal message that you want to give? How about we talk about the people in your community and how to reach them so you don't end up dying so that you can get off life support, right? 
But there's this lack of awareness and there's this fear, there's this paranoia that we don't want to step out. Because change often means that you're going to have to be uncomfortable. Change often means that you're going to have to work harder. A lot of people don't like that. They don't like that proposition. A lot of people want to feel comfortable and they they just want to remain where they're at. They want to remain in their box. They don't want to have to do a whole lot. But we cannot allow an unhealthy, unreasonable fear hold us back because we're afraid that any little change is going to affect us negatively. Listen, change does not equal liberalism. Not always. It can, but not always. There is a sense when change or being progressive can be good things. Healthy things. And in fact... The church needs to wrap its mind, its heart, around that. Here's the protocol in a lot of churches. In a lot of churches, there's a change made that is not, again, has nothing to do with anything scriptural. But a change is made and someone says, I don't like that. And the elders say, I'm sorry we offended you, we won't do it. That's the protocol a lot of times. When I was living in Cassville, Missouri, I got there my first spring there. I mean, I got there in May, and like in two weeks, they had VBS. They held VBS on a, on a Saturday. It was a one-day VBS. Nine kids showed up. They met from 9 to 3. Nine kids showed up in a town of 3,000 people. And I said, folks, how long have y'all done VBS this way? I don't know, several years. I said, do you always have this kind of attendance? No, it's usually not this good. And I said, this doesn't work. A couple of people were appalled that I would even say that. Your current format is not working. So we tried it differently the next year against some people's wishes. And it went much better the next year. And that, that's not any, in any way praising anything that I or anyone else did. It's, sometimes it's just a format change that that will get better results, right? One of the things that I did do on a Monday night, we had all the kids coming in, and I wanted to kind of get them settled down, and so I played VeggieTales on the uh, screen to kind of get them settled in. Now, it wasn't a Sunday night, although I don't believe that would be wrong either. This was a Monday night. It was VBS. It's for the kids. There's one lady there that did not like it, and she went to the elders, and she said, that's wrong. And they said, sorry, we offended you. We'll change it. No education, no saying, it's not wrong, and let me tell you why. It's just, we're going to do away with it. We've got to stop reacting in those ways. We've got to stop that kind of protocol in the church. If we're ever going to move forward, we have to be willing to accept some things. It might make us a little uncomfortable, but we need to be able to say, okay, does this bother me because it's wrong, or does this bother me because it's different? If it bothers you because it's wrong, then you have every reason to be bothered by it. But if it only bothers you because it's different, then maybe, maybe you need to, to show a little bit of grace, right? Like Steve Jividen told me one time, he was riding his motorcycle out in Oregon. He walked in, and that was the first time he saw a PowerPoint. And he thought to himself, this is ridiculous. I can't believe they're doing this. They're putting songs on a screen. And then he got out, and he got on his motorcycle, and he thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, of course... Now it seems readily acceptable, but sometimes just a a change like that, it makes us uncomfortable. We don't know how to react to it. But perhaps backing up a little bit, taking a step back and saying, okay, does this bother me because it's wrong or does this bother me because it's different? The problem is that many people think that this type of adapting and adjusting, this type of moving forward or progressing must include a diversion away from Scripture. 
that it's going to lead to something ungodly. You know, everything leads to something in the church. You notice that? You know, why did you change the format of the bulletin? Next thing you know, we're going to have instruments. You know, everything leads to something else. Listen, folks, the only way, the only way a change is made that is unscriptural is because the elders allow it. It's the only reason. Now, it may be that a group of people in the congregation pushed it. It may be because a preacher pushed it. But it only happens because the elders signed off on it. And I can promise you our elders stand firm, bold, and courageous for truth. I do as well. That's never going to happen here. That's never going to happen as long as we are here. That's not going to happen. It's not going to be that we're going to move away from truth or that we're going to implement something that is blatantly unscriptural. But still, the fact remains that there are some things that we're going to have to do as a church to adapt and adjust and to move forward. Something that I think of quite often is where will Oldham Lane be 30 or 40 years from now? If I get to live that long, I'll be 85, 40 years from now. And I think about what will Oldham Lane look like when I drive down 1750 here. In 40 years, will it have you know, weeds growing up and windows boarded up, chains on the doors, a for sale sign out front? What will it look like? And if it does look that way, what will be its demise? Or will it be thriving and striving to move even further forward? And I think to ensure that that happens, we've got to be willing to adapt, to adjust, to stay relevant in our culture. Here's the deal. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to do some diagnostic testing on ourselves. There are five groups of people that keep the church from moving forward. Do you know who they are? They're not named people, okay? They're not specific people. No one in this audience. But there are five groups of people. They are the deniers, the entitled, the blamers, the critics, and the confused. The, not, the deniers are the people who don't think there's anything wrong. Why do we need to change? Everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's good. They don't ever look outside themselves. They can't see past their own nose to see that anything is wrong. I, I don't know how many of you follow Tom Rainer. He does a podcast and uh, has a lot to say about church growth and things of that nature. But one thing Tom Rainer said recently is he did a little research on a church that was dying. It was in a downward spiral. They went from 380 to like 100 people in a very short amount of time. And so he started gathering research by looking at what was happening in this church. And he started by going and talking to the most... Uh, uh, seasoned members, the veteran members there. The people had been there the longest. And he went to one young, uh, young lady. I mean, she'd been there like 50 years. And he went to her and he spoke to her and asked her about some different things concerning the church to maybe get some insight. I mean, surely she would know why the church was in a downward spiral. And so he showed her the attendance charts. And he said, what does this say to you? He said, have you why do you think the attendance is dropping so dramatically? She goes, it's not. He said, it is. You were 380 just five years ago. Now you're 100. And she goes, no, we're not. He said, yes, you are. I mean, here's the attendance charts. People aren't coming. Have you not looked around and noticed holes in the congregation where people used to sit? She goes, no, I haven't seen anything like that. She completely denied the whole thing. He asked her several questions related to the declining attendance and all those things. He said, do you know of anybody who's left? No, I don't know if anybody's left. She completely missed it. 
And you do have those people in your midst sometimes in a church that just completely miss it. They're deniers. They don't want to admit that anything's wrong or they haven't paid attention. Then you also have the entitled. And the entitled group treats the church like a country club. You know, I give my contribution and that's like paying my dues. And so therefore, I get certain perks and privileges. They're the people that remind the preacher, you know, we pay your salary. They're the folks that believe that they are entitled to certain things because they give the most money. And so the entitled are difficult uh, to deal with, and it's hard to get them to move forward because they're only looking out for themselves. If it benefits me, I'm on board. If it doesn't benefit me, then I'm going to dig my heels in. Then you have the blamers. The blamers resist change because they're too busy finding fault. They blame leadership, they blame the preacher, they blame the deacons, the youth minister, whoever it is. They blame society, they blame the government. You know, they're, they're the folks that when you say, well, why don't you think your church is growing? Well, people don't want the truth. That may be true, it may not be true. Maybe they want the truth, they just don't want you to be a jerk about it, right? And so when it comes to the deniers, or when it comes to the entitled, I should say, they are the ones that expect certain things. The blamers are the ones that want to blame everybody else. And then you got the critics who are like the blamers, but the critics take it a step further by constantly bending the ear of the elders. It's the whole pet the billy goats when you need to be tending the sheep. They're robbing the elders of precious time that they need to be spending on actually shepherding. And the worst of all critics are the past critics. Past being an acrostic, P-A-S-T. You know what that, that stands for? Well, people are saying that. Heard that phrase before? Well, you know, people are saying that. Or they say, who's they? What people? I've learned that they say, or those people, are usually one or two friends, or their spouse. It's usually not a whole group of people. It's usually just a few people that they want to keep to themselves. It's usually them, even. They want to remain anonymous, so they don't have to confront it themselves. But then you have the confused. And the confused are just that. They're, they're well-intentioned, they're heartfelt, they just they don't know what to do. They're confused by the whole thing. They, they, they don't know. They're, they're conflicted. They're, you know, they don't want to move forward, but they don't want to sit still. They know that something needs to be done, but they don't know what to do. It's, it's the folks who, who cry foul when you rearrange the order of the service because they're confused about what is actually scriptural and what is tradition. They're the folks that, that get uptight or upset over anything that's changed, especially if it's just a tradition because they can't make that discernment. You know, there's a, a very small church in rural North Arkansas. I have been to this town. I've never actually been to the church. A friend of mine who was attending Harding uh, was asked to come up there and preach. And he was a little surprised when he showed up and there were only three people there. And come to find out there were only three people ever there. The church only consisted of three men, all of them Christians, all of them been in the church for many years. So my friend got up to preach, and when he finished, he said, thank you, and he sat down. One of the gentlemen stood up and kind of scolded him. Why didn't you offer an invitation? He said, I didn't believe I needed to offer an invitation. There's only three of you here. You're all three Christians, but I can do that. Then afterwards, one of them made announcements. Can't you do that in the parking lot? You know, that night they came back together. At the end of services, one of them stood at the table and said, if there's anyone here who did not get, have an opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, please raise your hand. You three were here. 
There's nobody that needs to take of the Lord's Supper. You know what that is? That's being tied to tradition. This is the way we've always done it, and this is the way we're always going to do it. Some churches do need to close their doors. Some do need to shut down and go to one that's close by, that has elders, that has, that's operating in a fashion that is scriptural, right? I mean, you need that for yourself. But so many people hang on to tradition like grim death. They're unwilling to move forward. Sometimes a church just needs to close its doors and move ahead. We don't like to admit that, but sometimes it's fact. What does all this mean? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, Chris, you're setting us up for something. No, I'm not, really. Not at all. Here's what I would say. Here's what I'm getting at. You're asking, what are you getting at, Chris? Let me answer it with this. This is from February of 2008. To the wonderful people of the Oldham Lane Church of Christ, it is with great anticipation that my family and I await our arrival in Abilene. Libby and I are excited. My children are beside themselves with eagerness. We look forward to getting settled into the community and, of course, working with the congregation at Oldham Lane. I want to thank you so much for the encouragement and kind words many of you expressed while I was there. It definitely helped in making our decision. I see nothing but a bright future in store for my family and for the church. I am confident that it will be a tremendous relationship that will span for quite some time. I want to assure you of a few things, things that I promise to give full diligence to making certain are carried out. Number one, I promise to always preach the truth of God's word and to do so with an attitude of love. Secondly, I promise that I will never preach untruth or false doctrine, nor will I ever lead the church in a direction that is unscriptural or could lead to its demise. Third, I promise to develop sermons that are timely, that are relevant, that are diverse, and that are most importantly based on the truth of God's word. I am fully aware of the challenge that is presented to a pulpit minister to preach the word of God in a way that all members can grasp the message and feel that they were fed spiritually. This is not always an easy task, but I pledge to give it my best to ensure that this happens. I promise to do my part to ensure that Oldham Lane is a church that is growing on the inside and growing on the outside. I look forward to being actively involved with our members and within the community in an effort to spark growth and to attract prospective Christians to the Lord's church. I promise to lead my family in a godly direction. I will raise my family in a godly home, making certain that God is at the center of our household. My wife and I are committed to building a rich faith heritage with our children that will hopefully carry on for generations to come. And finally... I promise to give my brothers and sisters in Christ my unconditional love and compassion. I will do my best to motivate and encourage, to counsel and console, to laugh and weep if necessary. It is my hope that we can build a strong bond of peace and unity based on truth and love. I have never claimed to be the best preacher or the most knowledgeable. I have much to learn and much to experience, but I do have an undying love for God and his word and his people, and I'm sure I can grow to love the Dallas Cowboys. My family... My family and I look forward to being with you permanently. Until then, grace and peace to you all. God bless Chris McCurley and family. That was written and appeared in the bulletin 10 years ago, February 2008, over 10 years ago. And I stand by everything that I said then, still today. Don't give me a report card to say how well I've done because I know I've, I've failed to measure up at certain times. But I believe with all my heart that Oldham Lane is going in the proper direction because of its elders, because of its deacons, because of its members here, because of Blake and Jake and the wonderful job that they do. We have something special. You know, 
was it Esther? You know, for a time such as this, this is our time. It's a time such as this. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to take advantage of it? Are we going to live in this moment and make certain that we are striving to reach forward, to raise the spiritual bar, and to be everything and more that God wants us to be? To reach our full potential in Christ. John 20 and 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts 1, 7 and 8, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The first Christians were not stationary. And we can't be either. They were mobile Christians. What has happened through the years is we have gone from aggressive mission to maintenance. We have gone from leadership to management. We have gone from biblical priorities to non-biblical priorities. We have gone from being proactive to being protective. And we have gone from focusing outward to focusing inward. You want to talk about change? These are things that have to change. We have to change these things or we're going to die where we sit. The church has got to be aware of what is going on around it. Not to conform to it, but so that it can make a difference and reach people where they are at. You hear people say a lot of times, well, you know, people just don't know the truth. That's why they don't come here. No, people don't know the truth. They don't. And if you expect to bump the tree and they're going to fall into your cart, then you're expecting a little too much. We have been sent. We have to go. It's not just about receiving the people who come here, although that's a big part of what we do. But it's also about scattering from here, not being stuck in the past. The past cannot be our hero. I don't want to hear about how great the church was in the 50s and 60s. That was for their time, and that was great, but this is our time. And I can give you a, a little bit of an example, just a microcosm of what I'm talking about. When's the last time you got on the Internet and tried to find good Church of Christ material? And when's the last time you even found any? It's hard to find, isn't it? For Blake to find youth curriculum, to find stuff to use, without you, it's not there. I promise you folks, we are, going to, we are going to be doing some things here at Oldham Lane in the future to try to change that. Through podcasting, through different things, we are going to try to get into the 21st century. I've always said, you know, it'd be great if the church would just get in the 20th century, much less the 21st century. But no, we're going to try to make a, a concerted effort as a staff, as an eldership, and hopefully as a church to move, to be moving forward so that we can make a difference in our culture. The live streaming, the different things that we are trying to get out, the TV pro, all these things are an effort to try to make a difference in our community, in our little part of the world, and maybe even beyond, right? Because we've got to stay relevant. You know, there was this artist that was commissioned to paint a masterpiece, and he decided the subject of his masterpiece would be a dead church. That was going to be his masterpiece. And so he started painting his masterpiece, and people were waiting in anticipation. They were thinking, well, what will, he, what will he paint? He'll probably have weeds growing up around it, a condemned sign on the door, the doors chained shut, you know, the boards on the windows. 
But when he unveiled his masterpiece, he revealed a beautiful, pristine church building. It was gorgeous. And the people said, wait a minute, I thought you were supposed to paint a dying church or a dead church. And he said, I did. Look in the windows. And there were empty pews, there were cobwebs, there was an empty collection plate. The outside doesn't always tell the story. Go back sometime in Revelation 3 and read about the church in Sardis. Jesus said, I know you think you're alive, but you're dead. There are people in churches that think they're alive, but their church is dead. They don't even realize it. May we never be that way. May we never reach a point where we die, where we sit, where we are nothing more than a gravestone to a once great movement. We've got an advantage that a lot of people don't have, a lot of churches don't have, in that we were planted here as a movement, as part of a mission in 1996, 97. May we never forget that. May we never lose that mentality, and may we always be moving forward. Making a difference in our little part of the world. So, segue into an invitation. If we can help you tonight in some way, if you have a need that we can help you with. One of the things that we want to put a great emphasis on here, and I believe we do, is that we want to study the Bible with you. We want to make and grow disciples. So if maybe you are a Christian, you still want to learn more, or you're not a Christian, you want to learn what it means to be one, we want to study the Bible with you. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Whatever your need is, don't forget that when you leave here tonight, you are part of a movement. God has not called you to sit. He's called you to get up and go. Come now as we stand and as we sit.